So good news, good news. Christmas is only four months away. (laughs) Even better news, that means we're only really two months away before we start singing Christmas music. Oh, please. (laughs) You Scrooges. Amen, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. And let me ask you, okay? If you were to start making your Christmas list now, okay? You know, a list of things you wanted for Christmas. You don't have to say it out loud, but what would be some of the things you would put on that list? Just, just think about it. You don't have to say it out loud. Just think about it. For, think for a moment. If you were to start making a Christmas list, what would be some of the items you would put on there? Several years ago, a company in London, they surveyed over 2,000 children, ages 3 to 12, to find out what they wanted most for Christmas. And their answers were quite revealing. You know what was at the top of the list? A baby sister or brother. (laughs) But... But you know it was just a little bit further down the list? A father. Let that sink in just for a moment. One of the most requested items children asked for Christmas was a dad. It, it is hard to overemphasize a father's role in the life of the child, isn't it? Fewer things resonate with us at the deepest level. I mean, fewer things touch us in ways we, we rarely experience than a father's loving affirmation. On the flip side, fewer things are more hurtful and life-altering than an absent father or a father who withholds his affection. Worse still is a father who is mean and destructive. I mean, how many stories, how many books, how many movies right, depict a child who yearns for the approval of his father, yet never gets it, and then that sets him down a destructive course. Right, when we're out in public, we cringe when we hear from a distance a father say something like to his kid, you'll never be good enough. Or we sigh when we see a father repeatedly ignore his or her child, his or her son or daughter, or his son or daughter. And why do we cringe? And why do we sigh? Is it not because we know that child's longing to be loved by his father? I mean, we can relate to that need, can we not? We all have it. And it's deeply powerful. 
as a child, what kind of father did you have? Last week, we began a new series through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And as we discussed, this short six-chapter book contains many significant and glorious themes. However, as the Apostle Paul makes clear, this book does have one central message that unites all these glorious and wonderful themes. And that's simply this, and that is God's glory displayed through the church. This, I want to argue, is the main message, the summary statement of the book of Ephesians. It's God's glory. His glory displayed, shown, manifest through the local church. Right? We talked about this last week. Just as you have perhaps chosen to display the, the glory of a great family picture or a piece of sports memorabilia in your home for all to see, you intentionally chose to place it there, so too God has chosen, intentionally chosen, to display His glory in and through the local church. Right? We could say it this way, the church is the stadium where God has chosen to make known His glory. Not a Bible college, not a seminary, not a parachurch organization, and please hear me, we're thankful for all of them. However, the biblical witness makes it very clear that God has intentionally chosen to display His glory in the local church. And again, it's worth repeating. I just want to say, just consider for a moment how, the, how clearly this point is made in Ephesians. It's truly the message that unites all the doctrines and practices of this book. Consider for a moment how God's glory displayed in Him saving us and then reconciling us one to one another. Chapters 1 through 3. And then also, when the church walks in obedience to Christ's commands, and a spiritual battle against the forces of evil, chapters 4 through 6. The glory of God displayed through the church. And last Sunday, we looked at the opening two verses of this book. And in those verses, we were encouraged to not underestimate Jesus. Remember this? That is, in particular, we are not to underestimate the power of His will, the purpose He has for His people, and then the peace that he provides. Well, Faith, this morning we're going to study what I want to argue is one of the most encouraging and soul-satisfying passages in the entire Bible. And you know why this text is so encouraging? It's so encouraging because from the pen of the Apostle Paul, Christian, we learn something very important about our Heavenly Father. And the truth we're going to learn about our Heavenly Father is meant to bring comfort, assurance, and most importantly, elicit praise from His people. And what is this glorious truth that we learn about our Father? 
Well, with eager hearts, please turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 1. That's page 976 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. And hear now the word of the Lord as I read verses 3 through 6. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, this is referring to God the Father, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, and what are those spiritual blessings? Well, Paul unpacks it here in verse 4. Even as, referring to these blessings, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. When I was uh, 15 years old, my brother Dave and I, we made the 15 or the 14, 15-year-old baseball all-star team for our city. And the first tournament we played as a team, it had a bunch of other teams from the greater Southern California area. Well, in the, the third game of the tournament, we, we faced against and um, played against a team from Valley Center. And after a few innings, they were absolutely destroying us. Every player on that team looked like a grown man. I mean, they were just huge and strong, and I'm quite sure several of them were shaving in between innings. In contrast, if you want to know what I looked like at 15, imagine me the same height, a lot skinnier, and more hair, okay? Well, well, as I mentioned, we were getting killed. We were also the home team, home team, and when it came for our last at bat, we were losing by eight runs. To make matters worse, they brought in their star pitcher to close things out. Get this, this guy, as a freshman in high school, he started on the varsity team at his high school. He was throwing the ball in the mid to high 80s, okay, as a 15-year-old. In fact, when they put him in as a pitcher, they marked Valley Center as the winner of the game on the large bracket <laughs> by the concession stand before the game was even over, okay? Well, it just so happened that I was the leadoff hitter that inning, 
And to be honest, I had never been more terrified in my life. Okay? I was the leadoff hitter, and here was this grown man, 15-year-old. He was big. He was strong. He could throw it through a brick wall. And, I, and I'm, honestly, I was never more terrified. But when I got in the batter's box, to this day, I can still hear my father cheering loudly from the stands, encouraging me. The first pitch sounded like a ball. I say sounded because I didn't see it. The the second ball was thrown in the dirt, and the next two pitches were outside the strike zone, and I got on first base. Well, while I was on first, our team, we quickly discovered that the catcher couldn't handle this guy's heat. So the coach gave me the sign to steal second base. So I stole second base. And when I slid in the second and I stood up, guess whose voice I heard cheering loudly above everyone else's? My dad's. Coach looked at me, gave me the steal sign again to steal third. So I stole third, slid in safely. And again, guess whose voice I heard cheering me on above the crowd? I did. Well, I'm now on third base. Again, we're down by eight runs. I'm now on third base, and um, the next guy's up. He, he walked the other guy, so there's a new, new, new batter. And the first pitch he throws this guy goes in the dirt and gets past the catcher. And for a split second, I have a decision to make. Do I run towards home? to try to get a run with this pass ball, or do I stay on third? I was like, what do we have to lose? (laughs) So I ran as fast as I could towards home plate. And as I slid, I just beat the throw, and I came in safe. And I could hear my dad celebrating with me. That was the first of nine runs we scored to win that game. We walked, stole bases, and bunted our way to victory. Please hear me. The ball never got out of the infield. (laughs) And oh, what joy we had after winning the game to make the scorekeeper go up to that bracket <laughs> that had Valley Center and to scrape it off and to write Escondido Little League All-Star Team. And the celebration of winning. Faith, my father's cheering that evening was loud. In fact, it was so loud it probably offended some people. In fact, I have no doubt that some didn't take it very well. 
they thought it was too much. But in that moment, my dad provided great encouragement and comfort for me. Faith in the passage I just read in a way far greater than what I experienced on that baseball day, and please hear me, Christian, God the Father is shouting loudly for all to hear just how much He loves you, Christian. And my prayer is that we as a church would not be offended by this demonstration of love, but rather that we would receive it with joy, for that is the intent of this text. Indeed, it is meant to produce in us grateful praise and joy to God. Faith through the Apostle Paul, the Father is shouting His love for us. And notice how strong and forceful His words are. The Father's voice is strident in these verses, is it not? Indeed, the words He uses are as strong as anywhere in Scripture. For notice how all the verbs have God the Father as the subject. He is the one doing all the action. He is the one who has chosen us. He is the one who has predestined us. He is the one who has adopted us. And notice, God the Father accomplished all these actions according to His will. Do you see it there in verse 5? That is the reason why you have been chosen. The reason why you've been predestined and adopted is because, Christian, God willed it, not you. Think back what we learned in the first verse last week. Remember how Paul opens this letter? He says that he became an apostle by the will of God. That is because God chose him. Listen, God did not consult Paul. As Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 15-16, God set Paul apart as an apostle before he was even born. You see, faith, God did something in Paul and to Paul that now Paul recognizes was beyond his own desire or choosing. Paul was an apostle purely because God willed it. And Christian, notice this. It is by that same will, will of the Father, that you, Christian, have been chosen, predestined, adopted, and blessed by Him. What an encouragement. What love. As John Stott has insightfully written, he says, the whole paragraph is full of God the Father who has set His love and poured out His grace upon us, who is working out and who is working out His eternal plan. You see, faith, when you take a moment to study the grammatical structure of these four verses, it's not hard to see what Paul's main point is. We could summarize it this way, and that is, praise the Father 
for His grace in Christ. This, this is the point of these four verses. Praise the Father for His grace given to you, bestowed upon you, Christian, in Christ. Excuse me. Notice carefully what Paul says there in verse 6. Have your eyes fall there one more time. Paul instructs us on what our response ought to be to the loud cheers of our Heavenly Father. And what is to be our response? Praise. We are to praise Him for His marvelous grace. And I just want to drill down here for a moment. Christian, I don't know what kind of earthly father you have had. I don't know what kind of heartache or pain you've experienced. But Christian, find comfort. Find joy. Find relief in exuberance in the fact that God the Father loves you. Praise the Father for His grace in Christ. And what I want to do this morning is show you how Paul grammatically structured this passage to emphasize three powerful demonstrations of the Father's love to you in Christ. Indeed, as several commentators have pointed out, all of the Father's love and blessings come through, please hear me, our union with Christ. Unless we have any doubt about this, Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, no less than 11 times in the opening 14 verses of this book. So here's the first thing, I believe, structurally, Paul makes it clear that he wants us to find encouragement in, and that is this. Christian, first, find encouragement that in Christ... You've been blessed spiritually. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because notice what He's done here, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Several years ago, I read an article about what flight attendants notice about passengers. I come to think of it, I think I actually read this article while on an airplane in one of those in-flight magazines. <laughs> anyway, just think for a moment about the thousands and thousands of people flight attendants meet and see over the course of their career. Well, the article revealed that flight attendants determine the wealth of a male passenger based on three criteria. You know what those three criteria are that they determine the wealth of a male passenger? Three things. You know what they are? Their watch, their belt, and their shoes. Flight attendants believe real wealth is revealed in your wardrobe. Yet notice what Paul says in these verses. 
Real wealth, real blessing isn't located in your wardrobe, but in the heavenly places. For in Christ, what do you have in the heavenly places? Look carefully at what Paul says there. You have every spiritual blessing. Not some spiritual blessings, not a couple of spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing. Pastor and author Richard Koken makes this insightful comment. He writes this. He says, the stunning word here is every. Each believer has received in Christ, I'm going to pause here for one second, um, Wayne and Jim, that's for the class and they're, they're quite early. Can you take care of that for me? Thanks. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Anything okay? It's just the pizza for the class. And uh, he's about 40 minutes early, but that's okay. So might have to warm it up. Sorry. Anyway, okay. The stunning word here is every. Each believer has received in Christ every possible spiritual blessing from God. None are being withheld. Christians will have different gifts, different ministries, and different circumstances, but we all possess every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Christian, isn't that good news? You have been blessed in Christ in the heavenly places. Now, that phrase, heavenly places, if you're the underlying type, you might want to circle it. That phrase is only found in the book of Ephesians, and it's used five times over these six chapters. And based on what we learn in Ephesians, the heavenly realms are the spiritual dimension in which God and all spiritual powers are dwelling. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come because Paul does. But I just want to just mention that right now. But for now, what I want you to see is that our Father, Faith, is a giving Father. He is not stingy. He's not tight-fisted. He doesn't play favorites. No, He chooses to bless us with every spiritual blessing. It's not like you got some ice cream as a dad and you're going to scoop out ice cream to your kids and you give some kids two scoops but one kid you just get half a scoop. It's not like that. He blesses us all fully with the same amount which is everything. He blesses us fully. And what are those spiritual blessings? Well, this is what the following verses spell out. And we know this is the case because of the phrase that Paul uses at the beginning of verse 4 when he writes, even as. That is, what follows is an explanation of our blessings. And you know what? They aren't a belt, shoes, or a watch. The spiritual blessings are more glorious. And you know what the first blessing is? You know how our blessings get started, Christian? They get started by God choosing us. In Christ, you have been chosen to be blameless. And that is the first way God the Father blesses us. Look at verse 4. He says, 
even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. How many of you have experienced identity theft before? Have you guys experienced that before? Yeah? Last year I noticed some really odd charges on our credit card statement. And I looked into it and I called up the company and sure enough, they were fraudulent. Thankfully, the credit card company took care of the charges. They didn't make me pay for them. Rather, what they did is they just zeroed out my account, to which I am thankful. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't add more money to my account. (laughs) Now, that would have been great. I'm sorry, there are these charges here. They weren't mine. You know what, Mr. Wojnicki? We're going to zero those out. You know what? We're going to give you $5,000. Or maybe $25,000. Wouldn't that have been great, right? That he not only takes care of the fraudulent charges, but then he pads my account. Christian, that is exactly what God does for you in Jesus Christ. Paul says that God has chosen us to be blameless and holy before him. That means, please hear me, in Christ, something is removed and something is supplied. In Christ, something is removed and something is supplied. First, by our union with Christ, our blame is removed. Due to our sin, we all have racked up a debt of offense against God that we cannot pay back. And to be sure, these weren't accidental charges. No, they were flagrant sins against our Creator. Yet in Christ, the stain of our sin is washed away. Amen? Praise the Lord. But that's not all. Not only does our union with Christ remove our blame, our blemishes, but it also supplies His righteousness. We are blameless and holy before Him, or in His sight, as some of your translations have it. Christian, the righteousness that was Christ's through His perfect obedience is imputed to us. The holiness that God requires, He also supplies, not by our works, but by our union with His Holy Son who shares with us His own status of holiness. And this is remarkable. (laughs) And it ought to elicit praise in the heart of the Christian. In Christ, Christian, God sees you as holy as His own Son. Not only do we have our debt wiped away, but we also have the riches of Christ's righteousness applied to our account. I love what pastor and author Brian Chappell says. He captures it well. He says, God does not pay our debt and then leave us with a zero balance. Rather than have us as destitute, He opens the vaults of heaven to give us the benefits of the storehouses of His grace 
made full by Christ's obedience. And faith, this is all due to God's own sovereign choosing. Notice, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. Ponder that for a moment. I mean, is there any stronger phrase that Paul could use to demonstrate that God's choice in electing us was based solely on His sovereign purpose and not our own human will? He chose us before the foundation of the world. And to be clear, the us in this verse is the same us in verse 3. That is, the us whom God has blessed in the heavenly realms is the same us He has chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So Christian, praise Him. Praise Him for His kind and sovereign grace in choosing you, you who are undeserving of such love. Then finally, in Christ, you have been predestined for adoption. Look at verses 5 and 6. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has blessed us in the Beloved. A moment ago I shared with you about that company in London, London who surveyed over 2,000 children ages 3 through 12 to find out what they wanted most for Christmas. And near the top of the list was a father. But do you remember what was, what was the number one requested item? A baby sister or brother. Consider this for a moment. The two most requested items children asked for Christmas for a sibling and a father. You know what this is illustrating? We long for family. We long to be known and accepted. We want a father and we want brothers and sisters. And Christian, great news. In Christ, you can have both. For in Jesus, you have both Jesus as your brother, your elder brother, and God as your father. Christian, please hear me. God did not choose to be your foster father. He did not choose to be your foster parent. No, He chose to be your father. And more importantly, He chose you. That is, He predestined you to be adopted into His family. Uh, my brother Dave, who you've met, uh, he and his wife Hannah, they have three beautiful girls. And their youngest, Claire, uh, is adopted. 
Tell me, when it comes to adoption, who chooses who? Does the child pick the parents? Or do the parents pick the child? Friend, to suggest that we are the ones who chose God, that we were the ones who decided if we were going to be brought into the family of God, is to interpret the exact opposite meaning of adoption. And not just adoption, but that we've been predestined for adoption. Claire did not choose Dave and Hannah. In fact, Claire really had no choice in the matter. Furthermore, you know what Claire has not done? I have not seen my niece get upset at my brother and his wife and shake his fist, her fist and say, how dare you rescue me from a life of destitution? Bring me into a family where I'm provided and loved and cared for against my will. How dare you do that to me? No, you know what I see in the face of my sweet niece? Joy. She loves her family, the family that she's a part of. Christian, how much more should it be for us in Christ? That through no merit of our own, God the Father has reached down and chosen us. He's predestined us. As we sing this morning, precious daughter, treasured sons. And notice, <laughs> notice at the beginning of verse 5, the Father didn't choose us and predestine us for adoption begrudgingly. He's not like, oh, well, oh, yes, Aaron. Whatever. You just don't mess up the kingdom too much. Or you, you're welcome. No, in love, he adopted us. And notice, according to the purpose and pleasure of his will. This is why if, if we're Look, people, we have to accept the Bible on its own terms. These are the words Paul is using. And they're meant to bring us comfort and joy. The same will that made Paul an apostle was the same will that brought you into the family of God. This is why I liken this text to a father shouting loudly from the stands, yes, other people don't want to hear it, but he doesn't care because he loves his son and he wants his son to know that he loves him. That's what's happening in this text. In his excellent book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And then he says this, for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, 
and better than the old. Everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Christian, you may have had an earthly father who, had, who wanted nothing to do with you. You may have had a father who was absent. You may have had a father who withheld his affection. You may have had a father who withheld any kind of praise. So Christian, I would encourage you to lift your eyes higher. And see the Father you have in God. A Father who wants you, who loves you, and before eternity passed, chose you, yes, you, to be His own. May that loud proclamation bring great comfort and assurance to your heart. Let's pray.